Hello, and welcome to the Peach Basket. Today, the pundits discuss players' pursuit of the paragon of sports, a professional championship. That's right. We will be discussing the NBA Finals. It is here. It is great. Uh, gentlemen, how are we doing today? Pretty good, Chris. Pretty good. It is June. The sun is out. And it is officially tank top season for me. So that's sun's right. Out, out. Sun's <laughs> out, guns out, he says. I, I didn't think that it ever wasn't uh, tank top season <laughs> for you. I thought that was year round. <laughs> you are potentially correct. Hey, if the outfit plays, let it rain. That's right. Especially if it's like a LaMelo ball jersey. Uh, I think that, <laughs> that goes well. LaMelo! All right. Well, we got a, a lot to jump in here because the finals are upon us. Uh, but before we do that, PJ, do you have a sponsor for this podcast? Today's podcast is sponsored by Gasoline, um, making Americans poor in the year of 2022. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gasoline. <laughs> All right. So. Before we actually even jump into the the finals, uh, we're now two games into the finals. We need to talk about the teams that made it, and we need to therefore talk about the last series, how the Eastern and Western Conference Finals finished out, and ultimately, what the people really want to know is who was right in their projections and who wasn't. Hmm. So uh, let's start in the East. So it was Boston versus Miami. I will remind folks what everyone's predictions were. Uh, BMO and PJ, you guys agreed on this one. You both thought that Miami would come out of this in seven games. Uh, I had Boston correctly. Uh, I had him in six, uh, even though it did uh, go the distance there. So I get partial credit on Boston being the <laughs> correct pick. Are we so? I'm thinking you guys were surprised by that. What did you see out of that series that uh, kind of gave Boston the edge or maybe that Miami didn't come through and deliver on? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I was expecting the Heat to use some of that bench star power to uh, carry them in, uh, in, in that uh, series versus Celtics. And I think the injury to Tyler Hero was very detrimental to the uh, Heat's chances to advance in the playoffs this year. And I think once he got banged up and missed a couple of games, the uh, Heat just didn't have the firepower, um, you know, especially when they were, they were, they were rolling out uh, the shell Kyle Lowry, who was uh, looking like he was on his way to the senior citizen retirement. Um <laughs> And he was, and he was wearing gym shorts, you know, so he was fitting in that way. Um, but that's all that was really fitting in for old, for old uh, Kyle there. So I uh, think that Boston took full advantage of that. And I also thought that Derek White was an emergent player in that uh, Heat Boston series. And I think that I think that was the X factor in uh, why Boston took took Game Seven. Yeah, I, I think that was uh, it, in both respects. I think Miami not demonstrating the strength of their bench and the depth that they do have. And at the same time, Boston's bench stepping up. You mentioned Derek White. It's people like that stepping up in the playoffs and you know even conference finals that will help help both them, their confidence, as well as the team structure moving forward. I think he's really cementing himself as a big part of the rotation. Definitely. Bima, what about you? What, uh, what surprised you there? You thought Miami was going to pull this out. What happened? Have we lost Bimo? Brenton. All right, two-person podcast. We got this. Uh, so, uh, so let's jump over to the other series. So Warriors versus Mavs. Uh, PJ, we both thought this would be a seven-game series. 
However, I had the Warriors winning and you had the Mavs. What what happened there? The Mavs couldn't pull it off. Luca wasn't enough. What do you think? I think uh, I think Dallas fell short uh, for a number of reasons. Um, the reason why we both thought that Dallas was uh, con- continuing on in the playoffs was that they were playing small ball. They were uh, shooting. They were shooting a lot of threes, and they were making a ton of threes. Um, and I think that actually uh, ended up kind of snake biting them because they relied too much on shooting three pointers, and they did not have any presence inside. And then um, they basically packed it in on Luca and were daring the other Mavericks to fire up three pointers. Um, I uh, also think that the Warriors' star power was just shining a little bit too bright for that series. And I think Dallas will definitely be back. But I think they just ran into a Warriors team who was starting to come into their own with the uh, trio of Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, and my favorite player, insert insert sarcasm here, Draymond Green. <laughs> Yeah, and don't forget Jordan Poole, and Jordan Poole. Uh, you forgot to also mention Andrew Wiggins because he had one of the best dunks I've seen on Luca in that series. That was, well, that was pretty nasty. That was, that was pretty amazing. nasty. I was actually watching it on uh, TNT Overtime on the app, and the just happened to be watching, I uh, forget, you know, they had the camera from right above the backboard, as that's happening and he's coming up and you just see him rise and dunk. it was a fantastic point of view. <laughs> Put him on a poster. That's right. Can you guys hear me at all? Yes, sir. Hey, all right. Not sure what was going on there. Can I give my, my take on the, the Boston heat series real quick? Do it, do it. All right. So not to jump around and make this a difficult editing job for somebody here, but I would like to give my take on what coulda, shoulda, woulda been in in the fact that Jimmy Butler almost took over that game seven and almost finished out the Boston Celtics. I think that it was really close, a lot closer than the casual fan may have been aware of, but the fact that he had a Al Horford in reverse backpedaling and he had about 16 seconds left. And the only person he has to beat is Al Horford. Now, not taking anything away from Al Horford, but you give me Jimmy Butler versus Al Horford all day, and I'm taking Jimmy. I think that he probably should have taken the ball to the rack, made it a tie game, but instead he goes for three. They end up not making that shot. He came up well short, and the rest is history. So I think that my prediction should have held if Jimmy had made the right decision, but yeah, Pete, you're spot on as far as Kyle Lowry forgetting how to play basketball in a big time series. He needed to step up way more to the plate than he did. And I think that the inconsistencies of their other players like Bam Adebayo, who some games looked like a dominant force and other games forgot that he actually was on the roster. So um, I think that, for them, they have a lot of questions to ask themselves, just like the Phoenix Suns do. Like, hey, we got to this position. We thought we were geared up, ready to go. And we came away with uh, pretty much nothing. So um, it was interesting to me that the Celtics played great team. Oh, we might have lost you again, BMO. Lost me again? There you go. You there? Yeah. All right, that's going to be an annoying feature. Um, <laughs> I like that it's a feature, though. <laughs> well, feature every time <laughs> I was going to say, every time my screen times out, I lose audio, which I have no idea why that's happening because it never happened before. Um, so I'll just have to keep tapping my screen every so often, I guess. I, I don't know. Anyways, uh, as long as you can hear me now, what was the last thing you heard? Uh, Boston playing as a team. Yep, Boston played great team defense. Then, the uh, like you guys said, the emergence of Derek White 
um, just kind of coming in and taking those big time shots. And I think that the ability that um, Boston had to not be locked into one or two guys to be the featured part of the offense. They were able to spread the ball around and they played great team ball. And I think that the, the coaching strategy that Yudoka developed that they were able to just kind of come in and take advantage of the weaknesses that Miami presented. So I think that it was a good series. Miami probably could have won it, but the Boston Celtics are there and now they're looking at uh, eyeing their chances on a championship. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, we talk about what could have been if Jimmy Butler either taken on Horford or maybe even just hit the three, right? Yeah. Um, but you got to go back a couple minutes prior to that. Boston had a bigger lead. They were kind of falling apart there at the end. They couldn't seem to close out that series. So I I don't know how much of that is, you know, players or coaching or just, you know, type of thing that would happen in the normal course of a, a game. But how much of that plays in now into the – what we're seeing in the finals do we so guys can i can i uh throw in quick i uh, think that jimmy jimmy shot that three because the like heat were so banged up you know with lowry was like playing injured hero was injured jimmy was playing on one leg and i think he just went for the kill shot there yeah i, I think you're right i think he did and I think as the leader of the team, that's in many ways his call to make. Sounds like everybody's okay that he made that decision. It just didn't go in. Uh, But I think, you know, at that time, there are other options. It could have gone differently. He made a choice and they have to live with it. It is a make or miss league. uh, Bima, what about... What about out West? So uh, you did correctly pick the Warriors that they would come out of the Western Conference. You thought it would happen in six games. They were actually able to finish it off in five. Uh, Is it everything you expected? No big surprises? And now they're ready to move on to the finals? I think that, uh, yeah, the Warriors defeating the Mavericks was, uh, in my mind, it was a matter of time. I think that congratulations to the Mavericks organization for achieving um, getting back to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in a long time. And I think that they had a team that was, in my mind, not not Peter's mind, but in my mind, um, going to struggle and we didn't see that. Um, I don't. I don't think that they struggled. And I think that, given the fact that the Warriors came back from 19 down, um, in what was that game three, um, really could have signified a totally different series as far as the way that panned out. But um, I did see the Warriors as the deeper team, the more experienced team, and I thought that that would pay off, which it did. Um, I just think that they, although we've seen a back and forth series so far in the finals, I know we're not talking about that yet. I think that coaching is important. And I think that Steve Kerr needs to develop a game in game out game plan every single game, not just go with what is working in the past. I think he really needs to put his guys on the attack and make sure they go out and perform because if you slouch off um, your, the results are not going to be pretty. Um, and we've seen that happen a couple times with the Warriors, this playoff series where they've thought they had it in the bag. They took um, kind of their foot off the gas pedal. And as a result, uh, teams have proven that they can spread the ball against the Warriors and they can uh, close a gap pretty quickly. So um, not to say that I was surprised, but um, I I just think that – yeah, it was a it was a good opportunity for the Warriors to prove that they deserve to be there, and that they did just that. Yeah, and I agree with you. You got to coach all the way through because otherwise, if you face off against a good, disciplined defensive team, all they're waiting for is just for you to relax a little bit or you to make a, a simple mistake that an avoidable one at that, and they'll capitalize. And uh, it's I also imagine it's got to be tough when you've got such a talented roster it particularly during the regular season you can mail in several games uh, and come out victorious it is a mindset shift i know obviously he 
uh, and all the coaching staff really, they're up for it. They've proved it. You know, they've got championships, but that that's got to be tough to continually do over and over. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Any any other closing thoughts on those conference finals before we jump into what is now the main event? Yeah, I'll uh, throw in there for the throw in there for the peanut gallery. I think that Stephen Curry <clears throat> has been getting healthier as the playoffs have gone on. Um, I think in that Memphis series there was uh, shades of him starting to get going, but he was still not fully healthy. And then in the series versus Dallas, we started to get some glimpses of, you know, Steph starting to do that thing where he's like dribbling the ball down the court and he's uh, treating it like he's a uh, sniper in the woods, you know, (laughs) just like kind of casually doing this little crip walk dribble and he's kind of just looking all casual like. And when Steph starts doing that, man, good night. Yeah, he's out hunting. Yeah, you almost know exactly what he's going to do. Like, it's whether he's going to go four or five feet across half court before he eyes up that target. And when he's doing that walk and he's got his head held low and he's dribbling the ball like he's about to just pounce, it's like, all right, good night. Here it comes. Yeah. And so there was something different this year. We've we've got some new awards, right? We now have a – Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals MVP award. That's new. Mm-hmm. Uh, named for Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Uh, before we actually even talk about who won those, what do you guys think about that? Like adding in individual awards and accolades now when this isn't something that has existed for the history of the game? Uh, I'll go first if we're yeah i'll offer a take here um i i I found it um interesting i I found it um you know they want to take a take a moment to reward accomplishments for a what usually is a big time battle you know making it to the finals um you're going up against uh, most of the time worthy opponents there's not too many blowouts in western conference or eastern conference finals um and just the opportunity to kind of put something else next to your name i think that for in that regard it's kind of cool but i don't really see the the big grandiose scheme or the significance of doing this i mean nobody a year from now is going to remember whether or not you won the conference finals MVP, right? So (laughs) what's really going to make a difference next to your name is whether or not you're a champion. And, you know, I, I understand why they're doing it. I just don't think it's going to hold the significance that many of the uh, analysts, um, the, the people in charge hope to have, it do for, I guess, the players, but I don't know. I'd be interested to see what you guys think. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it's kind of cool, but I don't know. Just one of those things. Yeah. So I was uh, watching the Warriors celebrate after their uh, victory there in the uh, Western Conference Finals, and I was kind of put off by it. it. Like they were like almost celebrating like they had won the title. And, uh, you know, there was this like, ginormously large gold trophy and they're like passing out like uh, awards in honor of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. It's like, what are we doing here, guys? This is, uh, this is like a marathon. It's not a race, right? So for me, I think it's a hard pass on uh, creating more awards and creating more pomp and circumstance and maybe that maybe that makes makes me an old guy, um, but I am comfortable in that role because my birthday's coming up next week, and you know I'm getting older. So, so I'll take uh, I'll take the opposite stance. I'll say yay for more, and because I initially questioned it myself, and I said, you know, why are we giving out additional awards? Who cares? But then I also recognized that the the 
conference championships are a big deal. Like the, the teams that win those, they're going to put banners of Western Conference, Eastern Conference champions up in their rafters, even if they don't win a national championship, uh, even if they don't win the NBA finals. And so I think in the same way, individual players can take that same approach. Like it's a, an acknowledgement that in the end, there's only going to be one, but you've got two conferences that have battled each other to identify who's going to come out to, in many ways, like defend that conference, go to the NBA finals. Why not recognize individual performances there? I'll, I'll say it would be taking it too far if you did that for like every, didn't do it for the semifinals, do it for the quarterfinals. Like I'm not saying do that, but it seems like a decent place to do it. Uh, I also think if you're going to do it, doing it in a season like the 75th anniversary season, makes sense uh don't do it in like the 73rd or some just random uh random year so i like that and i even like that they did so in acknowledging larry bird and magic johnson uh so being able to honor and commemorate their past and their legacy while at the same time kind of putting that crown on some new emerging players i'm all for it i like it so you say keep doing it. Keep doing it. Don't take it any further, but keep it going. Uh, I think people will remember it a year from now, but only like exactly a year from now when the next one's around. <laughs> yeah. But but I think it's something that players can add to their resume. And, you know, I like the idea of there being in many ways like a, almost like a regular season MVP and you need to acknowledge postseason separately. If you're going to do that for the NBA finals, well, a team can get there as a total team. It's not necessarily the most important, the most valuable player in the postseason, but you get a little bit closer to doing that here where you can acknowledge an Eastern Conference and Western Conference. And perhaps it's the same, one of the same people. Maybe uh, Jason Tatum won it in the East and Steph Curry for the West. Maybe one of them gets finals MVP, depending on how this all plays out. But I still like that you're able to acknowledge both. So, yeah, resume builder for sure. Um, so as far as non-championship celebrations go, Peter, which one was more annoying, the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Golden State Warriors? Uh, I would say the Warriors because they have won the title multiple times. Okay. So I, I, I'm going to go with the old adage, um, act like you've been there before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I feel like with the timber puppies, you know, they they are like still learning. You know, they're they're like still out, you know, and they wake up every day and they're still excited because they're puppies, right? And right. I feel like the Warriors, you know, have won the finals multiple times. I mean, you're I mean you're celebrating and you're like doing the Dougie and you know. People are like dapping each other up. It's like, guys, settle down here, you know? Yeah. All right. I, I respect it. I just thought there was a lot of celebration for making the eight seed from the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, yeah, I do think there's something, though. You need to celebrate every step in the journey. Now, perhaps they're not going to rise and do significantly better than that over the next couple of years, but uh, that can be a step for a young team to say, like, make it into the postseason. Now, if it's, again, something they can build upon, great. If not, then uh, let's at least give them that one celebration. All right. All right. Get behind that. Um, before we move ahead to the finals, so the two teams that did not make the finals, let's talk about quickly what they need to do so that they can increase their chances of making it to the finals next year. What do you guys think about um, what do the Dallas Mavericks – and the uh, Miami Heat need to do in order to get themselves into the finals next year? Or do you even think that they have an opportunity to make it back that far? Uh, Yeah. Um, Let's start in the East with Miami, because I think they they are a strong team. It just seemed like not everybody showed up uh, mentally or otherwise. It'd be, I mean, I think the kind of cop-out answer is get another star and put them there, but I, I don't know how much that's going to fully help Miami. They're a strong defensive team. They've got good shooting. It just didn't all show up in the same place. I think the second part of what you said, 
will they even make it there? That's going to be tough. I mean, they, they were the one seed in the East, but I have to look ahead to next year and think the Nets are going to do something better. Um, there's a couple other teams that are on the rise, I'll say. It's going to be more and more difficult for a team like Miami. Maybe it'll be maybe the Bucks have another great year. I, I would not, you know, do anything drastic in Miami. If you can add in, I don't even know. I think it's just more of the same. Like a point guard. So, I mean, that's a, that's a fair point. Uh, some of the takes that I've seen is they, they need another. So Jimmy's like your, your barometer as far as, energy right so you need to you need to have him there to kind of push you in a little bit more of a uh, energy direction than you've already uh, exerted but I think you know one of the takes that I heard is them potentially going after a guy like Pat Beverly who just comes in and instantly sparks on both sides of the ball and I mean they, they certainly wouldn't have to do much to tweak that roster to allow a guy like Pat Beverly. I'm not saying it has to be him, but somebody of that caliber that instantly just comes in there and just provides a jump start to your offense, to your defense, who's going to dive on the floor to hustle for every ball. I think that they needed somebody like that when Jimmy couldn't give anything more than he was already giving, you know, um, they just, the heat looked apathetic out there at, at points of the, the series. And I, I just kept saying to myself, like, they realize they're playing for an opportunity to go to the finals, right? So, Brenton, I, it's um, it's because uh, they spend too much time in the sun. You know, it, oh, it that, a little that, bit. That was it. Times. So it was probably that, and then they were also mesmerized by Marcus Smart's outfits, right? So <laughs> those were glorious. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, th- that needs to be our next sponsor. Whatever clothing company designed his his matching pants and uh, shirt outfit needs to be our next sponsor for sure. Are um, you referring to his green lettuce? No, I, I don't think it was the green lettuce. I would call it the pink floral, whatever that yeah, one was. Yeah. Like a uh, Hawaiian-themed outfit with like a, a gentle red and mauve it was, it was beautiful <laughs> it was something to behold for sure so oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so be my i think that's a good i think a great example there with pat beverly if you can bring in a veteran that can impact the game that knows what it takes to win pieces like that you should not need to restructure your roster to do that you should like get someone a couple people from the end of the bench and a uh, draft pick if you needing to trade for them I think that's a good call. I think that's probably all that they would need to be put in the same position, like be a, go deep into the playoffs and maybe things play out a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, like um, the Bucks, the Bucks did it with PJ Tucker and then the, uh, the heat tried to replicate that by signing Tucker. And I think n- not taking anything away from him. I think that, you know, he's put together a pretty nice career for himself but I just think that he kind of ran out of gas when it came to, you know, games five, six, and seven. He just, he wasn't doing enough that could really spark that entire team and put him over the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good call. As we're talking about, there was one other thing that I think would really help Miami. You got to give more playing time to Udonis Aslam. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what's needed. He, he would have been a difference maker. Yeah. And next year at the ripe old age of 54, or however old he is, like I'm sure he can still, he can still contribute. Listen, every time he makes that bo- that roster bonus, he has to be looking at himself in the mirror and going, I still got it. I still I got, got it. it. So, yeah, for sure. See, oh, I, see, I uh, think that the Heat are missing someone like Terry Porter to uh, come Terry up. Porter. <laughs> what a great shout out. That's amazing. You know, shooter, uh, yeah, savvy, right? Yeah, yeah. What, so, what about the Mavs? Same question there, right, Bimo? Like, what do they? What do they need? Make it to the Western Conference Finals. You're going to continue to develop with a uh, around Luca. Do they have the pieces that they need? PJ, what 
what do you think? What would you do if you were in charge in Dallas? I was in charge in Dallas. And then after I bought my cowboy hat and my rifle, I would have a have a meeting with Luca and figure out what Luca wants to do to improve the roster. In my opinion, improving the roster in Dallas is like finding somebody who is in a who is very good at getting to the hole and scoring two pointers because I because I feel like the team right now they just have a roster full of guys who just jack up threes and that is like fine for the regular season and it's fine for the first few rounds of the playoffs. We are noticing. Uh, Boston and the Warriors are both in the finals because they have guys who can not only shoot three-pointers, but they also can take it to the cup a little bit. Um, I think Dallas should, first of all, re-sign Jalen Brunson because he's legit. And I think, secondly, they should try to bring in a wing who is competent at getting to the basket, and then they can basically pair up those two guys with Luka and the plethora of jump shooters that they already have. So if I were in charge in Dallas, that is what I would do. BMO, what what about you guys? So, yeah, I, I agree that um, you, you definitely have a core there that you can certainly build around. Um, I, I think a bit of a heat check needs to come Luca's way as far as I heard a lot of critiques towards his game uh, or lack of there. Therefore, if you talk about his defensive status, um, he needs to just educate himself a little bit more about playing that help defense, uh, you know, offering to switch on a pick and roll or anything like that. But I think, I think that he'll learn. I mean, he is extremely young. He's got all kinds of potential. He has basically the, the bulk of his career way out in front of him. And I think that if he does a little bit of training this off season, gets together with, um, you know, some of his coaches and talks about playing that help defense. I think that'll speak volumes to his game. I think what the Mavericks really need is that stretch four guy. I think they need somebody that's going to be able to make people be afraid to come into the paint, um, but also be able to stretch the floor when it comes to, you know, taking those outside shots like Dallas loved to do in that series. I think they lived and died by the three-pointer for sure. Um, so I think that they need to find, you know, somebody that's like six, eight, six, nine, uh, good perimeter defender and somebody that's not afraid to take the ball to the rack if they need to. Um, I think that the three guarded, um, starting five, well, Dinwiddie didn't really start. So, I take that back. Um, I was going to say the the three guarded approach to starting the game would not necessarily work in the future, but they had Dinwiddie coming off the bench. I think that there's going to be a market for Spencer. Uh, I don't, I don't see Dallas retaining him next year. I think he's probably going to either get traded or move on somewhere else. But um, yeah, I think that Dallas needs to add, uh, a stretch four guy and they, they have a chance to get back there. I don't know that. I, I mean, it, we always talk about, it. it's really hard to get back to the same position year after year. I think that Memphis is going to continue to improve with a healthy John Morant and some of those pieces that they look to add. I think that Memphis is potentially going to um, be an annual uh, team that we talk about. And um, they, they got a good chance of going further next year. I, I don't know about Denver if they get healthy. So it's really hard to get back, right? So um, for Dallas, uh, they might have missed an opportunity this year. Don't know. We will see next year. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what happens in the draft and then free agency in, uh, in a few weeks to come. But uh, that's that's topics for another time. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned Dallas, and one of the first things that I thought, and I thought this, you know, as they were going into the postseason, they didn't really have 
a strong, I'm going to say big band for lack of a better word. Um, I would still, I think stretch four is probably a great category to put on that. Someone that's big that can help you in the paint. They're kind of your back end in terms of defense, but also they can get out, they can score. They're a little more dynamic. And I just wonder like how close were they to having that with Przingis and how come that didn't work out? And if you're just mm. going to go and get a stretch four, what's going to need to be different than what he brought for it to actually be successful. Right. Yeah. I, I thought that they, I mean, he's a unicorn, right? He's seven foot three and he can shoot the ball from pretty much anywhere on the floor. So mm-hmm. to give that up and to not get a big man back in return, they looked like, I mean, that was Looney's biggest thing was offensive rebounds and Dallas just couldn't stop it. I mean, the one game, I think he had 12 he had or 13. Like 20 rebounds. Yeah, and like 12 of them were offensive rebounds. So you yeah. talk about second chance opportunities that the Warriors just took advantage of. I, I wonder how differently that would have gone if you had a, a big man in the middle that's just not afraid to, to box out, to get down and dirty and take advantage of his height and do something about it. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think they do need a, a, a big man of presence in there. You're going to want them to stretch it out just in today's NBA. Um, curious to see what they what they can do in the offseason. And if they agree with that as their gap, like is that who they think they need to put around Luca? Uh, we shall see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether or not um, Jason Kidd has any influence in who they pursue in free agency. Um I think he's a pretty good coach. He's definitely a person of talent. So coaching that in the sense that, um, you know, finding the right guys in the right spots, I think that's going to be key for them. But it's a long off season and a lot can happen in um, those months leading up to next year. Indeed. All right. Well, let's uh, jump into NBA Finals. We are we're already two games in, and series is not at one one. So we, you know, we're leaving Golden State's home court and moving over to Boston. Uh, let's talk Game One. So Game One, the Warriors were up double digits heading into the fourth quarter. Steph Curry came out on fire in the first quarter. Uh, what he had like six threes in the first quarter or something ridiculous. Yes, some something ridiculous. Yeah. How do you go from that start and a lead that's lasted three quarters to losing? What what happened? What where did they fall apart? I think they uh I think they took their foot off the old gas pedal and yep. just got a little bit casual with their defensive assignments. And I really think Boston in the fourth quarter, especially, just turned it up about three notches. Um, and frankly, the guy who stood out to me in that fourth quarter was once again Al Horford, mm-hmm. yeah, um, who you know was on the Hawks for years. He was sent to the you know he was sent to the Thunder for like a year of rest, basically. Or purgatory punishment, you could call it. (laughs) And, you know, he's he is just one of those types of guys who is a winning basketball player. And sure enough, in that first game, uh, it's uh, his uh, first finals appearance. He was hitting three pointers. He was playing great on defense. Um, He was the guy who really stood out to me in that first game and frankly um the uh warriors blew a really good opportunity to go up by two games going to boston so that was uh, my take there on the first game yeah i agree horford really stepped up big in the fourth quarter uh Derek white played well as well you know both those guys first time in the finals and i think that has something to do with it because for players you're coming to the biggest stage this nba finals this is stuff that you've dreamt about worked towards and particularly for horford who i he was either top of the list or at least top couple of uh 
games without making it to the NBA finals, I think he was just ready. You, you face that stage. You're going to do, you're going to go in one of two directions. You're either going to have an awful game because it's, you've built it up and there's too much stress and too much uh, focus on your play. You're kind of mentally taking yourself out of it, or you've just been amped up, ready to go and like, Hey, let's play. Uh, and for both those guys, it very much seemed uh, like the latter, like they were just coming out on fire. This is what they've been playing for working towards. And uh, I think it was good to see that. Unfortunately, it didn't, um, didn't really play out there for the Warriors taking a double digit lead and just blowing it completely. Yeah. Uh, you talk about a big collapse. Um, that was, that was pretty amazing to watch. You know, I, as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, no, they're really not going to let him just take a, another wide open three, are they? And then sure enough, it was like the Warriors just forgot how to play defense. Um, and, and, in all actuality, I, I would like to throw out the the accolade of Big Shot Al. Um, there, used to, there used to be Big Shot Bob, Mr. Big Robert Corey. Um, so, yeah, Big Shot Al, he showed up. He was ready, like you said, Chris. And um, I think that in his mind, he, you know, that was the buildup of what he sees as a great opportunity. He's got two... Uh, other young wings beside him. He's got a pretty decent point guard. He's got huh, pretty much a shutdown defender in a, his point guard. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, he sees this as an opportunity for him to get his ring, and I think he really, really wants it. So I think for him, uh, he was not afraid to step into the limelight, take those shots, and he was the second leading scorer of the game behind only Stephen Curry. So that mm-hmm. says a lot about – what he was ready to do to help his team. And I think that it was so interesting to see the, the I, I don't want to call it a fall off because it talks about, you know, finding holes in his game, but he certainly did not um, bring forth the same uh, results in game two, but I think that was more so on the team than it was uh, just on him solely. So Yeah, I think for them, they're going to really have to find a way to feature him into some of the plays that they run because on a team with, uh, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford's probably going to be open quite a bit. So um, find a way to get him the ball, and he's probably not going to disappoint you. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think the the last piece you said there is Horford's going to be open. I can't imagine that even going into the game, uh, that any of the game plan defensively for the Warriors was, hey, keep an eye on Al Horford, or hey, <laughs> for Derek White. That's not even top three or four in terms of the things that they would want to focus on defensively. And I think it then, like you're saying, hey, Al, Derek, you guys need to, the Warriors are kind of daring them. If you guys are going to beat us, you need to get hot. And they just both did. And you can say the, in some ways, the Warriors kind of took their, eyes off the prize, but maybe they were just executing their game plan and Boston just happened to find the one solution. Yeah. I mean, in the NBA, there's always something to be said about making that extra pass and you have to have ready opportunities. And I think both Derek White and Al Horford took advantage of ready opportunities. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly right. You know, that probably wasn't even on their radar as far as how they game plan for game one. But even so, you have to be able to make those mid-game adjustments. And I think that for them looking at, okay, what what are we getting beat on right now? Or how are we losing this 17-point lead in a short amount of time? Um, I think that more timely uh, timeouts or just a, an opportunity for a guy like Draymond Green to say, hey, put your heads down, close out on that uh, three-point shot, and let's get this done, you know. Um, but – Congrats to the Celtics for taking advantage of what was given to them. And they have made this uh, a pretty interesting series so far. Yeah. And I have to imagine then, uh, you know, as the Warriors were preparing for game two, they're talking and maybe someone, maybe like a, an Andrew Wiggins says, Hey coach, what, you know, what are we going to do about Al Horford and Derek white? And before anyone can answer, Draymond Green just looks over and gives him a death glare. Everyone goes quiet. <laughs> And Steve Kerr says, moving on. Yep. They, they weren't going to change their focus. Next they, question. Right. I think they basically said, 
you know, if we're going to lose to Al Horford and Derek White, then, you know, they're going to need to be hot for the whole series. And I think Draymond summed it up well when he looked at how the Warriors lost game one and said, we'll be fine. Yeah. So, you know, as we talk about Boston, they took game one. They stole home court advantage. We move on to game two last night. Uh, and did anything look different to you guys out of the tip uh, or even like the first quarter? Because it, to me, if you compare and contrast just the first quarters, obviously game one was more Warriors. Steph was hot. Uh, game two, like Boston came out, they built an early lead uh, before it essentially um, being very even game come the end of the first quarter. But I don't know. It, it's, it struck me as odd because you've got Warriors strong in the first quarter, game one, and lose. Boston strong first quarter, game two, and lose. Is, uh, is there just the changes during the game, the uh, – movement and adapting to what's going on in that particular game that whoever does that better, they're going to win the game. Yeah. So I'll throw in here. Um, somebody needs to get in Draymond's ear and tell him to not um, tackle people with his legs <laughs> and then like rest his, rest his legs on like a grown man's face uh, when he already has a technical in the game. Because if you think back a couple of years ago, the uh, Warriors were playing the Cavaliers in the finals. And, yep. you know, Bron Bron was like, what, what is the easiest way for us to win this series? Well, if I get their glue guy kicked out because of, of some shenanigans, then I think we might have a better shot. And it turns out Draymond got kicked out of that series because he was acting a fool. Mm-hmm. And- He's trying to drop kick people <laughs> right. and I was, you know i was like watching uh, last night and uh jeff jeff van gundy who i who i think is a good commentator he's great was like almost defending draymond he's like well this like type of guy you know he has to play with an edge and um you know this and that and the ref should like know to not have to give draymond a second technical foul here it's like are you kidding me right now Somebody on the Warrior staff needs to like tell Draymond to just shut his mouth because if he gets kicked out of that game, then the Warriors might be down 0-2. Yeah, I that's a really, really tough balance because you have to talk about all the different factors, right? So Draymond needs to be in control of Draymond. He he really needs to. <laughs> There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He just got to take control of his own self. And I, I agree with you, Pete. Sometimes he flies off the deep end. He goes too far. He takes that in a direction that they shouldn't be taking it. And at the same time, he's your energy guy. So you want guys to feed off of him. You want guys to look at the intensity that he's bringing to the court and you want other guys to emulate that. At the same time, you have referees that have already called one technical against him, and then you put him in a really hard spot when you're talking about putting your elbow down on the scorer's table while they're reviewing a play that you were involved in. (laughs) You talk about getting in your face four inches away from another player and a ref for uh, the scuffle that they had with um, after, I think it was the scuffle after Jalen Brown. Like, He's he was teetering on the edge of just getting flat out ejected from that game. But I think the referees in the back of their mind are going, well, if we throw him out, then everybody's going to have a fit. And they're going to say that we, you know, we penalize the player that brings energy. But I'm like, I, I don't know how you alleviate that. I, in my mind, you're right. The coaching, somebody on the coaching staff needs to say, great, you've done what we need you to do. You've moved the needle in our direction. Now it's time for you to press the pause button and put that to rest for a little bit. Because if you're involved in every play, you're always jarring at the refs. I think eventually that's going to get to them. And it all it takes is one little word, one little spark, and it's like, boom, you're gone. So, yeah, I, I think that what he brings to that team is important. But I also think that he needs to be able to take advice from his coaches and rein it in a little bit. Yeah, I think that is tough because in, in many ways – it is that edge that makes him valuable. And even from a, a coaching perspective, 
it's a very fine line if you want to try and you you can't tell them hey you know tone it down 25 percent or whatever because you're actually going right. to lose a lot of his value a lot of his uh, what he brings and how he is able to impact the game i think you kind of just need to roll the dice and hope that things like this happen where the refs clearly took it into account. I think Van Gundy called it out correctly. He said, if this was another game, it would have been a double technical to both those guys and Draymond would be gone. Yep. And I think it's, I think it's fine for the refs to take that into account and to not want to throw someone out. But I think that that is very much in my mind anyway, I base that on the fact that they're also too quick with the whistle. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Players for, for sure. Play. And I'm not talking as much about like fouls and contact. It, it's certain that part of it is better in the playoffs, but even just like the getting in people's face a little bit and drawing back and forth. Like I love that about basketball. I don't like when that gets um, tried to be controlled by the referees saying, no, that's a technical or the, Agreed. That's unsportsmanlike. Like, let them play, and uh, so I'm I'm fine with it. I don't like seeing people get thrown out unless punches get thrown. Right. Yeah, that that's a good take. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see if at all he changes for game three. I I think he doesn't. I think he brings exactly the same thing that he brought for game two. I think he brings that to game three, and the, it. It'll be interesting to see how it plays with the the Celtics fans, right? So this game is going to be in Boston, and I think that the fans are going to be fans are rocking. Oh, they're going to be raucous. They're going to be hammering for technicals to be flying out, and I think that um, the refs really have to pay close attention to what is transpiring in the game and not what's transpiring in the crowd. Yeah, very much. Guys, do you? Uh... Want a fun fact? Love fun it. facts are always welcome on this podcast. Stephen Curry's career NBA Finals statistics. 27 points a game, 7 assists, 6 rebounds. Um, <clears throat> I think that Stephen Curry is one of the more underrated superstars in basketball history. Um and I am very intrigued to to see what he is going to do in Boston um, because I think that Curry is starting to show flashes of what he was doing a couple years ago where yep. he was the potentially the most unguardable player on the planet. Maybe like a 1A branch to Kevin Durant, who I still think dollar for dollar is the uh, best scorer and is the most unstoppable player that is playing basketball right now in the world. Um, but when Curry gets going, it, I, I mean, and like, he's like pulling up from 38 feet. Mm -hmm. um, we have all played basketball before and I cannot imagine, you know, the uh, thoughts that are running through the minds of like a Marcus smart, who's like really good on defense, but can literally do nothing to stop that man from pulling up from 38 feet. And then if you come up close on him, he can just drive past you and either pull up for a shorter three-pointer or he can just kick it out to Clay Thompson, who is one of the best postseason shooters in NBA history. I mean, yeah, it's uh, fascinating to watch, truly. I think it's funny that you called out, like, uh, Steph's probably one of the only people that can – have the ball on offense, make a move, go past his defender, and still be in a position where he's shooting a three-pointer uh, because he starts from so far beyond the three. He's so dangerous, several steps behind the line. Uh, that puts a lot of pressure on the defense, and he has become very adept at picking that apart. Absolutely. And I, I think even if he uh, – well, we can get into – Let's do predictions on the the rest of the series before getting into uh, where I was going to go next. But so series is one one right now. We essentially have a best of five, uh, but it's a best of five where Boston essentially has the home court advantage now. Uh, they will host three of the next five if it goes the distance. Uh, what do we, Bimo? Let's start with you. What is your prediction for the rest of this series? 
Oh, you're coming to me first, huh? Yep. Um, <laughs> putting me in the hot seat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so in my mind, I already made up the fact that I, I believe the Warriors are going to be the champions this year. I just, I'm struggling with the amount of games that that is going to take. And I've gone through a couple scenarios here. I think that um, the gentleman's sweep in my mind is, I'm going to say off the table. I don't think it's going to go 4-1. I think that in all actuality, the, the Golden State Warriors are going to steal this first game here in Boston. I think Boston evens the series. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go. I want to say six, but I'm going to say seven golden state and seven. They close it out on their home court. Okay. Nice. Very fitting. PJ, what about you? Uh, I'm not like trying to be boring, but I really think that the warriors are going to win in seven games. Um, I think that the only way Boston wins this series is if we get the Jason Tatum, you know, the uh, good Jason Tatum and not the Tatum that we saw in game one, which they somehow pulled out. Tatum was, I, I believe, four for 17. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Which, That's not a good okay. stat line. Right. Which for a superstar player, somebody, somebody who has, you know, who has like shown flashes of like a Kobe Bryant style game where he can like get hot and, you know, he's like hitting step back three pointers. He's hitting fadeaway threes. Um, He is somebody who was much better in game two last night, but still was not that dominant superstar, you know, game changing type player. Um, If uh, Tatum can, you know, maybe strike while the iron is hot, then Boston, Boston definitely has a chance, but I just firmly believe that Curry is the best player in this series. And I think he's going to get another chip and I think they're going to do it in seven. That's not boring. That's not boring, Pete. That just means that our basketball prowess is fully synced up. So pundits. Yes. (laughs) So I I had written down in my notes three weeks ago, uh, maybe two weeks ago, I had written down Warriors in seven uh, as my prediction for the finals, even before they were in the finals. Okay. Uh, I I think I'm going to change it slightly though. It's still it's going to be Warriors, but I think they're I don't think they're going to need all seven games. Uh, I'm going to go Warriors in six. Hmm. Uh, I just think they're the stronger team. They're They've got the shooting that you could have two guys have off nights and still come out victorious because you've got enough other talent on the team. And they're, they're strong defensively too. I, and I don't really see in Boston, though I've been saying this for, or at least thinking it for most of the season, even when they were the best team in the NBA since uh, just before the all-star break, I don't see how they're a, uh, to me, it's not, you can be a good team and they're a good team, but to be a great team, like you just need to have so many, um, it comes down to the players, but it's not just like you need a, a stud here or there. You need so you need depth, you need defense, offense, you need folks that can show up on any given night. You need your veterans. You need folks that, you know, they're going to come out and have a great game all the time. I just, I hadn't seen that out of Boston and I, I really want to, uh, disagree with you Pete on Jason Tatum I yeah he's good I at putting him in the same sentence as a Kobe Bryant I have a very strong reaction to uh I just don't think Tatum is at that level and I don't even think he's like he got first team all NBA I wouldn't even put him there Mm. Mm. I don't see him as one of the superstars of the league. And perhaps I'm wrong on that, but what it would take, and maybe I'll I'll take the opposite stance. If he can will his team to victory, if he can show up for the rest of this series, if he can overtake the Warriors with looking around, like saying it uh, the opposite way, Al Horford and Derek White, um, if he can get his team to victory over the Warriors, 
impressive. I'll, I'll elevate him a step in my mind. But until something like that, yeah, you're you're a good player. You want to be an all star, sure. Uh, but that's kind of that's where I leave him. So uh, with that said, I still think the Warriors. And I think we're all in agreement here. They're they're the better team. They're the stronger team, uh, and most likely to come out of this with the championship. Yeah, you briefly mentioned uh, all NBA selections, and I think that the league is uh, feverishly trying to correct the their kerfuffle that they have there. Uh, that being that that they are putting people into those slots, first team, second team, third team, based on position. And I think that uh, we've talked about this outside of the podcast, Chris, that they have to make an adjustment to be able to correct that because you've got a guy that I would agree with you. He's good, but he's not great in Jason Tatum. That's first team. And then you got somebody like Joel Embiid, who is second team, and he was neck and neck for MVP this year. And I'm, I'm sorry, that, that that does not move him down to the second team for me. Um, I just don't see it. And then you've got, you know, stat guys that are chasing numbers that really didn't do much otherwise. Like Jimmy Butler was left off of all three of the NBA all teams. And yes, no Jimmy Butler. And you have Pascal Siakam that made the third team. And no. Yeah, I, I just I, – I've got a problem with that. You've got Carl Anthony Towns on the same third team as Trey Young. Trey Young led the league in assists and points. I, I don't think that they're at the same level. So I think that um, the all-NBA teams, although they're nice to give out those awards and accolades, I don't think that they are uh, properly awarded in my mind. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I agree. I actually think we can – Let's let's use this as a teaser. I think we can do a deep dive on the uh, all NBA teams here uh, in an upcoming podcast and give it the time that it's needed, because I think there are problems with it uh, and the voting and how it's structured. And we are just the type of people to propose great solutions. Ooh, I like I like that. So let's uh, let's bring it to the table for a next time discussion. And let's talk about who our revised all NBA teams would be. Yes, we will do that. All right. Uh, maybe the, the last piece here then, uh, so we talked NBA Finals, we all think it's the Warriors. Um, who wins the NBA Finals MVP? Uh, it's got it's got to be Curry. Uh, Curry finally gets his championship ring with the NBA Finals MVP how, for me. How, how in the world has Curry not gotten a Finals most valuable player yet? Uh, Kevin Durant, <laughs> so, Andre Iguodala. Uh, yeah, Andre that, Iguodala. Yeah, I mean, and and the one that they lost against the Cavs, Curry had a great series in that one too. So, um, yeah, I think that you know, for him, it just it's just not quite there. I mean, I, you could have given it to him, but really, the game changer was Iguodala in that yeah. series. And then Kevin Durant was like you said, Pete, and you've agreed, Chris, I mean, one of the most unstoppable scores there is. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to give him that, but yeah, the fact that Curry has won um, the three titles and hasn't been able to get the MVP is uh, it's almost comical. Yeah. And I agree. This is the year it'll change. It winds up being like, you can call it a cumulative NBA finals MVP. Uh, he he'll win it uh, even if he doesn't have ridiculous performances here on out. I think it would take someone else needing to carry the team, or well, you know, hopefully not like a Steph Curry injury or something like that, for it to be somebody else. Right. Is uh, is uh, Curry passing Bron Bron for a number of titles this year? Um, Bron has three, right? LeBron has three. Yes, Curry would pass him. Uh oh. Uh oh. So, <laughs> how can you be the alleged mo- <laughs> most liked player of all time? Because I can't, I can't say he's the greatest, most liked player of all time, but you have less championships than your kind of like your arch rival. I don't know. I don't know. Pretty interesting. Pretty, Pretty interesting facts, Indeed. but. All right, game game three is Wednesday night. 
I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be watching, and uh, we're hopefully going to get another another game of great basketball skills. Indeed. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to the exciting conclusion to the NBA Finals. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. Here are takes on how this plays out. See which of us was correct or not in terms of the number of games. And uh, more to come here on Peach Basket. Ball is like all his life. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Basket hole! Sometimes, sometimes you just have to give the people what they want, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh! Hey, it worked! There's that smooth baritone voice that you guys were looking for. So. Sorry, I'm just finishing up a turkey sammy. <laughs>